electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Kington here with Jim Cramer, David Faber at the New York Stock Exchange. Futures pretty steady as we get day three of curve flattening. Uh, more companies raising, raising guidance, including the blowout from Ford. Q3 GDP, 2% is light, but consumption is nearly twice the estimate. And we got a new post-COVID low on jobless claims, 281,000. Our roadmap begins with, let's make a deal. The president set to make the sale to House Dems this hour and then set to announce the framework of a spending bill Later on this morning, we'll get details. Plus, take a look at shares of Ford. Well, you won't right now, but trust me, they're soaring ahead of the open, shattering earnings expectations and raising your... I know, I say it every day. ...on new vehicle demand. His job one was to make money. And the CEOs of Young Brands, Stanley Black and Decker, ServiceNow, joining us this hour to discuss the quarter, COVID, supply chain, and their guidance. Very big show ahead. We're going to start, though, with breaking news on the framework for the president's social spending plan. Our Kayla Tausche is live in Washington ahead of what looks to be a busy morning. Hey, Kayla. Hey, Carl. After months of negotiations, the White House this morning is announcing a new revised framework for the president's social and climate priorities that it believes will be able to pass both chambers of Congress. Among the items included on the spending side, six years of funding for universal pre-K, a one-year expansion of both the child and earned income tax credits, new incentives for solar and clean energy projects, and extensions for Affordable Care Act credits. That is just a handful of things that are going to be included in this. Now, to pay for some of these things, the plan will now establish a 15% minimum tax for corporations here in the U.S. and overseas. It will introduce a 1% surcharge on tax buybacks, add a 5% tax on individuals making more than $10 million and another 3% over $25 million. And the IRS will also ramp up its tax enforcement. In all, the new framework is roughly $1.75 trillion in spending. That's half the size of the original proposal. And it excludes many items that the president campaigned on, like paid leave programs, free community college, and more. It also excludes a tax on billionaires and a plan to report bank account cash flow for many Americans. Now, the plan has not officially been scored by the Congressional Budget Office, but the White House believes it will raise $2 trillion, a figure officials say could lower the deficit over 10 years. To sell this new framework, President Biden is visiting a weekly meeting of House Democrats today. The White House will not say what assurances it has received, only that it believes all 50 Democratic senators will vote for the plan and that the House will have enough support to pass it, uh, but not saying specifically which lawmakers have said uh, that their vote is for certain a yes and what exactly that vote count would be. Guys? Uh, Kayla, I guess the challenge at this point is going to be getting the House progressives to go along. Yes? No, any doubt about that? That. 
Um, that is, of course, the, the challenge here, because they wanted this $3.5 trillion plan that the president announced at the beginning. And every time something came to the chopping block, there was a lot of opposition. But, Carl, just about a week ago, we saw the messaging change dramatically, where House progressives were at the White House. And they left a meeting with the president saying that they were on board with the direction that he was heading in. They understood that something was better than nothing and that the package needed to be slimmed down. Specifically, Congressman Ro Khanna said that President Biden said in no uncertain terms that he needed this package before he leaves today on a trip overseas to the G20 and the U.N. Climate Summit, and that, in his words, American prestige was on the line. The messaging after that meeting changed dramatically in a way that would lead many observers to believe that progressives, even if they had heartburn at the, about the package, would still be on board. What we also wonder is whether that means the progressives would vote for a $1 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill. Those are going to be considered in tandem, and the president this morning is going to make the case why both of those need to be passed. Uh, Kayla, on the revenue-raising side of this, I and mean, we've spent a lot of time this week talking about this potential billionaire's tax. I think you just reported it's not going to be a part of it. So what are the key revenue-raising aspects of this plan? Well, the key revenue-raising aspects, uh, David, are specifically the 15 percent uh, global minimum tax that Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen had negotiated with the OECD. I have some of the figures right here in front of me for what they're expected to raise. Uh, a White House fact sheet says that that corporate minimum tax will raise about $325 billion. There's also going to be a 1% surcharge on tax buybacks. That's expected to raise about $125 billion uh, to enforce, to step up enforcement at the IRS. They think that's going to raise about $400 billion by be being able to crack down on what they believe is tax evasion by the wealthy. Of course, all of these are rough figures. We still need a score from the Congressional Budget Office on exactly what they expect to raise. But these are sort of the rough buckets of what the White House and Democratic negotiators are at least targeting here. All right, Kayla, we're going to wade through that and look forward to hearing from we, the president, we think, around 1130 in the East Room. That's our Kayla Tausche. Um, what do we think here, Jim? You know, talking with David and Kayla about the, the revenue raisers, um, the framework does talk about uh, taxes on multimillionaires and billionaires. Right. And I know there's various levels of which there could be taxes. And Elon Musk has some fillies on it that are interesting, uh, critical of it. Uh, look, I, I, I come at this from the point of view of, yeah, you can raise taxes for people who are wealthy. But I speak to, I don't know, it's probably about 100 companies this week. No one can find any workers. So the idea that you need to stimulate the economy, uh, do infrastructure, I mean, where are they going to find the workers well, you need pay. to do infrastructure. No, no, I but mean, we do. You're just the point is to actually get the infrastructure well, done once you've allocated yeah. the funds. Oh, no, it's going to be more difficult. Absolutely. I mean, like, what do we? The, the disconnect between Washington and the rest of the country is rather extraordinary. I mean, honestly, I spoke to. If you just look at the tape, every one of those companies I've spoken to, and no one can find workers. So, what are you supposed to do? So like, the, the government. The answer is not to do anything. I think the answer is to be a little more considered about if you're trying to put people to work is one thing. If you have disastrous places right now that have to be fixed, that's fine. But you can allocate the money. Dave, you can allocate the money, but there, there are no workers. There's no machinery. Uh, there's very few people you can take off the street. Uh, it, it's an amazing time for American workers. And the government can be competitive. They can pay more, I guess. But... 
I, I mean, when can. you're when you these plans do stretch out over over well, long periods sense. of time. It's that not makes as sense. though they're just dumping a trillion dollars in the but, minute but, the bill is signed. If in fact the infrastructure bill but gets they keep, signed, they keep talking about it. they need to create but, jobs. I mean, one of the great things about this economy is the private sector is creating a lot. This is not some right wing fascism stuff I'm giving you. I'm just saying you can't find workers. Left wing, right wing, uh, union, non-union. There's no workers. There, we hear it every day. Uh, if we ask the question of any of the CEOs who join us, we will, the ones that we have. The first line of the, of the framework is create good paying jobs, enable more Americans to join uh, and remain in the labor force. Well, that's just great. Just who are they? I mean, well, uh, maybe the eight, nine million people who are coming off of extended benefits since August. Well, there are jobs galore for them. And why don't we admit that we have a huge labor shortage and we have a demographic problem in the country? Now, maybe if you pay people less uh, in terms of the benefits, maybe these people will be found. But when you talk to, like, when you, you talk to Boeing, you talk to a, a Raytheon, when you talk to a Carrier, when you talk to a Otis, when you talk to um, any company with, that we have today, uh, the biggest problem is, Look, we want, we're trying to find workers here. Prologis, which is the largest warehouse company, what is their biggest problem? They've got to automate fast because they can't find workers. Uh, so there's a big disconnect. You're not, I mean, this is not like we have that employment, unemployment that we had last year. And look, I, I'm case by case. I'm company by company. I don't trust the, uh, the Washington figures. As we hear service now, Washington's just now getting automated. But if you want to drill a well, you want to drive a truck, you want to use a crane, uh, you... Uh, by the way, truck drivers going to begin to make as much as uh, highly paid Well, that's underneath all of this. Wages are, are going to go up, which, by the way, is viewed well, generally as a positive. Well, I think that's positive. Have, I'm yes. just saying that if the, if the government's going to compete with the private sector for workers, it's going to have to pay. Yeah, but why bother? Why, if you're going to raise everybody's taxes. Well, when it comes to some of the things in the infrastructure bill in particular, not the, well, not the bill that's now being negotiated, there are things that are not going to be tackled no. by corporate I'm in, America. I'm in favor, Carl, and I'll leave it at this. I'm in favor of infrastructure spend. I just think that what's going to happen is you can discover that all the contractors are already taken. And it would be great to have them leave their current job and move on to the government jobs. But that's not what a contract allows. Yeah, I mean, the, the labor dynamics are not forever, right? I mean, and this this goes for a while. No, they're not forever, but if you want to build a house, you want to build a, a commercial building, uh, you want to build a warehouse, uh, you want to build a plane, you want to build a truck, you want to build a car, you can't find enough workers. Now, maybe these people come back, but now you want to build a bridge, can't find workers, so it's fine. It's just that they should say, listen, it's not for good-paying jobs. What it is is to get the infrastructure right. done right and we are going to compete against the private sector if we have to to get jobs. Well, there may be a skills gap, too, in what you're describing as well. Have well, they've been they talking about that like, for years. No, I, that's true. I'm just saying that, like, if you're running one of the top, say, 500 companies in the country, um, you're trying to go to Mexico or China because you can't find workers here. Um, but now you just added fuel to the fire. Yeah, or, or more reason to automate. Uh, by the way, all of this sort of ties into Ford, up sharply pre-market with the quarterly beat, raising guidance, announcing it will reinstate the dividend in the current quarter. Strong demand sees actually chip supply markedly improving from Q2. This is what Jim Farley said about the supply chain last night. We've been able to achieve this while thoughtfully managing our supply chain for short-term sustained, sustainable improvements including semiconductors, and prioritizing high demand and high profit vehicles. 
perhaps our biggest job, in my opinion, is to break the constraints we have in manufacturing and our supply chain so we can get these products out to these customers. So you're, t- you're taking a bit of a victory lap, having been well, my, championing for a while. For my, I mean, you know, if you're a member of the club, uh, investment club, you'll know that this is my favorite stock. Uh, we had to trim it because it was going up so much. It was just a huge part of the portfolio. But I, I, I want to compliment Jim. Boy, the analysts were just a bunch of jo- – well, they were – they were not even – you didn't get a single congratulations. I, I, I was appalled. Like Bill McDermott got like a gazillion congratulations. But let me just deal directly with what Farley did. First of all, why is there not a, why was he not hurt by the chip shortage? Well, because he knows how to source. He has spent hundreds of hours going to every single semiconductor company, whether even the Avnets or the Taiwan semis, and said, listen, give me your chips. You know, your huddled chips learning to be free. I want them. Uh, secondly, he gave you a dividend. Now, he comes to me and he says, hey, I know you're going to be disappointed. You probably want a bigger dividend. No. Ten cents. No one was even thinking to be a dividend. He is going to challenge Musk. He, in the pickup truck with the electric, he is ready to bury Musk. Not unlike, I mean, he's not going to be like Chris Schiff shooting you know, with a shoe. Yeah, but yeah. He, he, what? I remember that. I, mean, I don't remember. I don't remember We've it, seen it. Uh, uh, it's the, the star UN, of the yeah. show. Detroit is back. Dividend. I love the orders. Money per vehicle. Remember, he wants to crush Musk. He, uh, he hated the Teslas added to uh, Fords. He hated that stuff. And he's just not going to sit there and take it. Um, he's very exciting. Uh, I, I do love the guy. I'm out of the closet. And my Maverick, which I ordered in March. Oh, oh. Now, it's, now it's January. January? Yeah, it's uh, to fool around with the... When we, when we were originally supposed to get it. Uh, for in time for the summer planning season. Oh, and then in time to go to the Eagles. Well, speaking and of then which, in time to go to the Super Bowl. Uh, Linda Zhang of Ford, who is responsible for moving EVs into the pickup space, is on the cover of Time. Uh, Farley tweeted that out this morning. Although today, you know, Jim Piper. Um, in their new street high target of Tesla at thirteen hundred, says that all of the so-called Tesla killers haven't done it so far. Well, they haven't because they weren't electrified. I no, mean, they're pointing out the VWs. Right. Well, well, those guys. Yeah. Look. Okay. They. That's true. They're completely uncool, and no one wants their cars. How about the Mustang Mach-E? Try getting one. Okay. The Maverick, by the way, is hybrid. Uh, Jim Farley is a different sort of executive. He's. Uh, he wants to win. He doesn't make cars where he can't make money. But, you know, he sits there and thinks about Elon Musk. And he said, you know, it's like, do you want Musk to talk? No. no. Uh, you want him to die. All right. Yeah. Meanwhile, Tesla's added more in market cap. This, I don't know how many Fords it's added this week in okay, market cap. Okay. 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 You think that Farley didn't hear that? He heard it. I want him to come in right now. Come this in? Is- what, are you going to beam him in? Yeah, why not? Why not? Hey, how'd Ford do versus uh, Jim? Wait, wait, what are you doing on that one? Ford did she couldn't find the chips. This guy is like, he's like Doritos. Meaning? There's all over there, a lot of them. <laughs> he's gonna get, come on, Jim. What's with Jim? Beam him in. Beam him in. Come on, Jim. I'm doing my, I'm going to do that. I'm trying to teleport him like, t- Tele- like teleport. I'm trying to teleport him the way that, that, that Zuckerberg's going to teleport you into gaming, into being, uh, into, into education. I'm not moving on. Someone in my ear moving on. I am doing a soliloquy here. <laughs> all right. People on the floor are like, what's wrong? To be or not what to happened? be. Yeah. All right. Um, Farley's the question.
We will continue to watch uh, Ford. Uh, JPM, by the way, uh, reiterates overweight $20 target. Big morning on tap, including the CEOs of ServiceNow, Yum Brands, Stanley Black & Decker, Carrier, eBay, and Ginkgo Bioworks. Take a look at futures. We'll get to all the earnings we've not yet touched when we come back in a minute. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big-picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. You know, David, there are a bunch of clowns selling service now last night. Mm. They didn't bother to even wait for the conference call. Bill McDermott? How stupid are they? That's you know why? Why? Why, is it, why are they stupid? Yes. Because they were selling it down 50. It's now up five. What a great time to bring in the CEO of ServiceNow, none other than Bill McDermott, who's talking about that this was a foundational quarter. He raised guidance. He beat the numbers. He's talking about taking over more of the enterprise than I've ever seen. Bill, I'm going to echo some of the analysts, some, no, actually all the analysts. Congratulations on a great quarter. How'd you do it? Uh, thank you very much, Jim. The company did a great job. You know, there's a couple of things going on. As you know, there's a structural incline for digital transformation. It's a $7.8 trillion market in the next four years, and we have the once-in-a-generation platform that's so versatile, so scalable, so ready for these uh, very challenging times. So we have the technology advantage, and that's why we're growing faster than everybody. We're actually gro- growing faster than when we were a company half our size. So it's just unreal. 31% growth, margins are the best in the business, and customers are super happy. Well, there are two things, the best ways, I think, to tell people how well you're doing. One, can you give us the uh, cadence of million-dollar deals versus last year? And then second, give us, uh, once you're in, how much more business you've been doing uh, because the land expands. Yeah, it's amazing. We did uh, 63 deals that were greater than $1 million in billable revenue in the year, and that was up 50% on a year-over-year basis. And what's happening, Jim, is this platform, the Now platform, is so amazing. The uh, IT architecture of companies now is the business architecture. So every executive wants to give their employees an amazing experience to win the talent war, you got to satisfy your customers in whole new ways, direct-to-consumer, predictive analytics, manage field service without going in the field, and then this create a workflow. You know, there's 500 million net new applications that have to be built by enterprises. There's not enough engineers in the world to do that, so they're doing it on the Now platform, and they're doing that at a record clip. So all these things are converging at once, and that's why in every region... In every industry, ServiceNow is on a tear around the globe. You know, Bill, a lot of people feel that uh, 
we're in the middle innings or later. I was talking earlier about the, the numbers that came out from the government today and how I don't think that they're uh, actually accurate. Uh, and then I look at your your numbers with the federal government. Uh, the federal government, I think, are, are they in like they haven't started like they haven't started digitizing yet, have they? They are really, really doing some great things. The federal government realizes that they have to invest in digital transformation. Government has to run like a best run business. And that's why the IRS, as an example, took very complex systems and infrastructure and disparate silos from 12 different platforms and consolidated it all on the ServiceNow platform to give the citizens a great service. And we're seeing this at the state and local level as well. Just think about the vaccine management, which is now likely to be an ongoing process where, you know, you need your booster shots. So we're handling the distribution, the administration and the monitoring of vaccine management all over the world uh, for millions and millions of people. So really think of us as a control tower for digital transformation. And I think when you see the growth, you see it in every industry, you see it in every geo, you see every persona in the enterprise clamoring for that one solution that can make all the complexity go away and make things simple so you run and get business outcomes that turn into service now. So thank you, customers, partners, and great friends. You know, I, Jim, I don't know if you saw the partnership we do with Microsoft, you know, fully integrating teams into the ServiceNow platform to reach 275 million people in the enterprise, or Salonis, where we can do an x-ray of your business processes and immediately activate new business processes on the now platform in minutes. So we're changing the game. Well, uh, one last thing. There's a great moment in the call where you talk about the industries that were really hurt by COVID. And you say transportation, business service, logistics, telecom, media, technology. These are all now placing huge orders, aren't they? It's amazing. You know, you look at uh, Verizon. You have in Stanley Black & Decker on today, great partner. You know, they're using this creator workflow platform to build on-the-fly applications to reinvent manufacturing. And they're building 70 new applications on our platform to reinvent the way they run their business. Verizon and Telco running on service now with our Telco solution. Um, and the list goes on and on. So what you're seeing is all these industries that are challenged, you got supply chain challenge, you're going to have to rethink your supply chain on the fly. You might have to get new partners. You might have to source from different places in the world. Plus, you want to be highly inclusive. You want to make sure they're following the labor laws. You want to make sure they're looking at net zero the same way you are. We do all of that for them with a highly predictive analytic platform from ServiceNow. So you can move fast. You don't have to be tethered to this slow grind of the 20th century. We will liberate the enterprise. That's the game plan, Jim. Well, uh, Bill, congratulations. It really was a great quarter. I do need you to digitize some of the parts of the Eagles so that we can win some more games. But I'll talk to you about Howie Roseman, mutual friend. Uh, Bill McDermott, who runs ServiceNow and just did such a great job. Thank you so much, Bill. Thank you so much, Jim. Uh, when we come back, a quarterly beat for Yum Brands as it navigates the Delta variant supply chain issues. We'll talk to the CEO about the labor pressure and some comps as well. Take a look at futures here. Uh, watching oil gets awfully close to a two-week low on the build that we've gotten this week. And more progress on Iran talks. More Squawk on the Street when we come back. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older like a family vacation. Yay! 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. All right, less than three minutes before we get started with trading here at the New York Stock Exchange. Let's squeeze in a mad dash. Yesterday, Visa earnings right. did not get well received, no. I would argue. Well, it wasn't, their outlook and their quarter wasn't that good. MasterCard is today. David, you often talk about, let's talk about big companies. Yes. People don't realize MasterCard's a $471 billion. Ma- no, Visa's Ma- a four- MasterCard's $331 billion. Visa's 471. So, yes. I mean, we need to focus on these companies. Now, this is a company that was stronger on every single driver to Visa. My travel trust does own it, so you can say, well, wait a second, but I'm just looking at the numbers. Pre-booking numbers strong for travel. Crypto will be a business, but it's largely investment. Uh, remember, MasterCard is, when you compare, say, a firm to MasterCard, I mean, okay. a little different. A little but, different. And then, so. David, they have a, they bought, they're buying back stock. Uh, they bought back a lot of stock uh, this quarter, but now they've got $4.8 billion under authorization. I think you're going to be competing against Michael Meebach if you go to start buying stock tomorrow. So, therefore, I would buy stock today. Because this, the company will be in there. I mean, I've got to tell you, these Alvin, A.J. Bonga built, you know, he was yes, A.J. Bonga was the longtime CEO. But these companies are the backbone of what, of, of merchant work, other than, of course, with Steve Square, that I'm bleeding water for Dark Express. But uh, we don't think about them enough because they've not, they're, they're not vocal. No. You know, remember, I mean, they're I selling always, the banks. I do make that point on Visa, and obviously it did lose some market cap yesterday, but it's still a $460 billion market cap company, one of the largest, larger than every bank other right. than J.P. Morgan. Which has a market good. value above that. They gave a cautious guide, and I have yeah. the like, look. I like both these companies, but Mastercard uh, is yeah. doing better than Visa right now. That's okay. There's why? Be con- Do we know why? What it is they're well, actually yeah, well, they have, doing? Yeah, well, better? they're more. You know, they have stronger exposure to travel and to uh, uh, and discretionary spend, and so discretionary spend is coming back ahead. Uh, and by the way, on crypto, it's more investing activity than payments. So in other words, still people aren't saying, you know what, I'll buy that Ethereum. You know, right. use Ethereum. Um, it's for investment. Some say, some would say, David, it's speculation. Some would. But I like this company very much. I wouldn't have a big position in my travel trust. And I think it's not too late to get in it. Okay. Now there's a way. What, what size company is yelling versus the size company I'm talking about? CNBC Real-Time Exchange at the big board. It is outdoor recreation company Solo Brands celebrating its IPO at the NASDAQ Semiconductor Manufacturer Global Foundries also celebrating an IPO and we'll talk to the CEO on TechShip later this morning. Jim, one big question for a lot of people is how the market is absorbing some of these hawkish moves out of Bank of Canada Bank of New Zealand, Bank of England, um, and these front of the curve going up. What, what a great point. Uh, the stock market is kind of disassociating itself from what's going on right now. Uh, but that is very typical of these two weeks. This is earnings season. Another two weeks from now, I think we'll be focused very deeply on that. That saying, Jim, 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 is that what they say? Yes. Um, but, you know, I, I do think, like, for instance, let's take today. I mean, Apple and Amazon, and then the Facebook presentation, which I'm telling you is going to be revolutionary. That's what we're focused on. Otherwise, 
Otherwise, we would be focused on these rates and what's going to happen. And we do have a lot of people saying housing is going to get hurt. It just happens. Uh, mortgage rates uh, now, highest since April. Yes. But your point is, inflationary pressure in the short term, market believes companies can handle it. That's, that's right. what we'll this talk to, to Stanley Buck and Decker, who's been able to, they're, they're raising prices next quarter to be able to do that. I spoke with PPG, same thing. Costs are going up. Jobs are, are going up. Look, is it, is it a housing time for America? Well, if you want to, if you're looking for a job, you are in charge. Labor's in charge. Particularly, as David likes to talk about, these whole days that you don't come to work, which is why housing is doing so well. Because people are redoing their housing because it's, it's now their office. Uh, of the ones that are, of, of Amazon, of Fang, the one I'm most, most focused on is, is Facebook. I want to hear about safety when Mark talks. Uh, this I want with this metaverse, and what I really want to hear about, frankly, is is that they're revolutionizing the company. That it's beyond. I said last night that the idea that it's a social media company is kind of ridiculous. Uh, look, I had Facebook in college. All right, so did he. I took a lot more courses than he did because he didn't really finish. But yeah, we got the Facebook. That's something freshman year. Let's go beyond Facebook. So- the troubles that it's that have hounded it for years have been about the news feed, right? And right. user content. You think that's sort of the old Facebook? Well, I think, look, when you're preserving documents, uh, obviously there couldn't be, there's repercussions. But yes, I'm going to say yes to that. I mean, I've always felt that when I first heard Facebook, it was wanted pretty early. I said, you know, when you got that, you were like, you know, seeing who's from your school and stuff. And it's kind of a really old and they're doing so much more. And to me, metaverse is, the next, is really the next 10 years. And I think that transponding, David, yeah. I know maybe people say, you know, Jim, they're not going to do it. VR has been a bust, whatever. But I want to I take that. I want to go with my avatar, go to your house, and really explain to you the world. You will explain the world to me at my house? Yeah, I'm going to be my avatar right into your room. So I'll never really get away from you is what you're saying. I hope not. Never. Oh, okay. And then people know we really like each other. We don't throw pens at Well, you know, throw pens at me. But I just think you're going to be blown away. I am uh, never going to buy another suit before I try it on. We're going to be in, talking about the metaverse a lot from in the coming years well, as, it, as he, they spend an enormous amount of money potentially creating it. I know. What's the largest semiconductor? NVIDIA. You've talked a lot about uh, what they've done. By the way, that stock has been a very strong performer. Even this week, even that day that we even spent despite, a lot of time, well, the because, beginning of the show, talking about the metaverse, NVIDIA was a very good, uh, was a, had a very strong I, I think day. Facebook's you can see gonna, it's uh, going to offer a lot of money to creators. Uh, um, but remember, I think it's NVIDIA that you're going to write on. I want to get to some of the other movers this morning on earnings. I'm sorry, because we have too a, much on Facebook. We have a lot of, we have a lot of uh, uh, CEOs to come. I, I do have to point out our, our parent company, which reported earnings that were actually uh, considered to be good when I was talking to people this morning. EBITDA was quite strong. People seemed encouraged by the buyback. But guys, take a look at Comcast shares. They're at 50 now. They're down another four plus percent. Got to believe something was said on the call. Frankly, I don't have my. I forgot. Left my phone upstairs. Um, so my phone? people may be texting me, and I may be able to tell you more why. Um, but regardless, it, I'll tell you what. You know stock what's is getting hit right now. What's frightening is up dollar um, when Joe was interviewing me, and I said I, I don't think the bears will be respected. Those headline numbers. The bears are winning again. They are. They are. Um, they are. Uh, and, you know, the concern there, of course, has been a, a continued competition, the overbuild to a certain extent from AT&T in terms of uh, their fiber aspirations, um, worries about where things stand. Oh, yeah, my phone. Thank you. I think there Let's was see. on the call, there was, um, according to Variety, a discussion of Peacock 
where some analysts asked for hard subscriber numbers, and NBC CEO Jeff Schell said, Peacock's doing really well right now, uh, expects to see a ramp up of originals following the pandemic. Uh, La Brea, by the way, the most popular show on Peacock, right. but maybe not the hard metrics on subs that, that some were well, craving. And listen, always hard to talk about your parent company. It is the one stock that we can say we own or many of us do. Uh, but there are questions about Peacock in terms of the a- allocation towards that direct-to-consumer, so important for so many of these content media companies. In fact, it is by far the primary concern, almost of all of them. But when it comes to Comcast, in terms of capital allocation, are you in? Are you out? Can you really? Is it enough? Is it enough capital? I mean, you have to spend billion, much more money. Or do you have to spend a lot more to really compete? It's interesting because, um, you know, Apple, Apple Plus tonight, Tim Cook, I mean, if you told him, listen, I need a couple hundred million dollars to do this, he'd, right. he'd say, why are you wasting the time? So, um, Jim, uh, before we get to our next interview, just on Twilio, because it's a name that you yeah. know fairly well. Yes. You've had the CEO on with you many times on Mad. Yes. That stock's down 18% this morning. Well, there's two things. One, there was an actual definitive slowdown, and the guy was substantially lower than I thought it would be. Uh, I thought that the guy, you know, they were growing at 50%, and now they're going to slow down. But sometimes there are executives that really, really matter to a company. And one of them is George Yu. That's H-U. Uh, he was a very important executive at Twilio. I say was because he's resigning. And a lot of people have gotten to know George Yu, who used to be from Salesforce. As I'm not saying he's the brainiest mind in the outfit because Jeff Lawson did it. But th- th- this company was beautifully managed by both. So to see him go is a serious, serious negative. And not, I'm not just saying that because like, I've, I've learned a lot from George Yu. But there are certain people, if they decide to leave... That's a hidden secret sauce about why the stock's going lower, not just because the guide was weaker. Yeah, so last night between eBay, Twilio, Jim, um, and there were a couple other names, not, not a good response to, to No, earnings. I mean, it, you know, you know, look, you have to go into the world of the, uh, of the service now. Shop. The, yeah, a shop. You know, geez, we got to talk about shop. That, that seems like a definitive slowdown to me. Um, Although they're not getting hit that hard. eBay no, down more. We'll have a chance to talk to the CEO shortly. They're very uh, self-effacing. Shopify only down 1.1%. But if you look, it's Ford. I mean, think about it. It's KLA, KLA which is a beautiful company. Dave, that's a $54 billion company, KLA. They make semi-cap equipment, and I, they're doing a remarkable job. Teradyne does testing. They actually de-risked Apple. They said Apple's really good. There was a story that Bloomberg had earlier that there were some issues. Well, it looks like that that's been from the, the Teradyne call, which is very, very good. That's fine. And then you get the big industrials that are just doing really well. But uh, some of these companies, yes, uh, were disappointed. Last night was not a super night except for Ford. And... Uh, Farley, I, I don't want to emphasize, I can't emphasize enough. Detroit's back in the Farley. He's going to change his whole method of buying a car. You're going to have to do it like Musk. I mean, I don't think he seriously hates Musk, but I, I told him that Musk called me a hologram, and I think that he feels like it's time for some revenge. Uh, it's going to be a fun race to watch. Meantime, Yum Brands, the company behind KFC, Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, beats on the top and the bottom line this morning, despite some smaller than expected uh, comps for the quarter. Here to break down the numbers with us, uh, Yum Brand CEO David Gibbs. David, good morning. Great to see you as always. Hi, Carl. Thanks for having me on. Um, I want to talk to you about digital and the quarter at large, but some of the comps were not quite what the street was looking for uh, on on Kentucky Fried Pizza and Taco. Uh, Any explanation for it? 
Actually, it was a great quarter in terms of sales. If you look at the numbers, uh, all four of our brands were positive on a one-year basis and a two-year basis globally. We really can't ask for much more than that. That's what, what we strive for, and we delivered on it this quarter. So widespread strength in sales, but at the same time, you probably picked up on the fact that we had $5 billion of digital sales in the quarter. That's up from Q2, despite the fact that our dining business is returning, which you would have, think, would have thought would have pressured digital sales. Not the case. Uh, but the really impressive number in the quarter is those 760 net new units that we opened for the quarter, a record for the third quarter. We're clearly on our way to a record for the year, probably a record for the restaurant industry of all time. Five billion in, in digital around the world. What's the, what's the mix right now on digital? We're closing in on 40% mix, and that's up, and it's up about a point and a half this quarter versus last quarter, the point I was just making. It's really impressive because our dine-in business went up $600 million this quarter, quarter over quarter. Uh, you would have thought that that would have taken some of the steam out of digital, not the case. Digital is really proving to be quite sticky with consumers. It's a better way for them to order, and it's better for us and our franchisees and our employees. It makes our business more efficient. All right, David, Jim. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. I need to drill down a little more on what Carl asked first. Uh, the comparable sales numbers uh, in the third quarter, uh, we were looking for something a little bit higher, uh, 6.5%, uh, and you did five. Now, okay, it's entirely possible that those numbers are wrong, but what I'm trying to do is come to grips with the fact that the stock's down two bucks. The estimates uh, were not met. Maybe the estimates were wrong. Maybe the numbers are wrong. But we got to deal with uh, the facts at hand. It, it, something's at odds. So explain to us why uh, we should say, you know what, you don't have to focus on these estimates. Yum's doing better than the estimates. Well, look, the stock has obviously had a nice run this year. Inflation, expectations are inflated. I, I'm not going to get into quarter-to-quarter swings on our stock price. Um, we know that if we keep doing what we did in the third quarter, um, we're going to create value for our shareholders, and they're going to be quite happy. When you have widespread same-store sales growth, you know, we've got a portfolio of companies. We're in 290 brand-country combinations. It's hard to get everything firing on all cylinders all around the world, but that's what you saw, widespread same-store sales growth, all four brands on a one-year basis, on a two-year basis. You know, there's really no problems in our portfolio at Yum. We've got a strong business that's growing worldwide. Okay, so let's talk about the expansion, which I think is absolutely terrific and the best way to, to my best way to look at Yum, because obviously you have tremendous demand for uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken all over the world, tremendous demand for Taco Bell and obviously for Pizza Hut. Uh, can you tell me whether you're able to get workers? I mean, I know that your model doesn't necessarily mean that you're impinged by this, but we've been talking about a worker shortage all over the world. What are you experiencing? Clearly, there's pressure on labor in our industry, particularly in the U.S. It's not nearly as much of an issue outside the U.S., where, by the way, 60% of our business occurs. But in the U.S., you know, we've, since day one, when Young was formed, we've always talked about um, our differentiator being the culture that we have in our restaurants and the pathways that we can provide for our employees all the way to becoming franchisees. That's become much more important in this environment. I don't think people are talking enough about retention. Yes, it's hard to fill open jobs, but let's not let those jobs get open. Let's retain the employees that we got. And I, our franchisees are doing an amazing job of that around, around the world, particularly in the U.S. Just as an example, I know one franchisee 
does a why are you staying here survey, not exiting, not exiting employees, asking them why they left, but asking them why they stay so they can lean in on the things that keep employees staying in our restaurants. That's the thing that, about the culture and the environment and the place that invests in you and your development. Um, but labor is certainly pressuring the business um, all across well, in the industry, and we're not immune to it. Yeah, David, I mean, one thing that will keep people is paying them more. What are your expectations for wages right now and where they'll be, let's say, a year from now? Look, we've made uh, a series of increases in the wages we pay in the restaurants. We pay well for our in-store employees, and I expect that that will continue to increase. So if you're asking for my expectations, I think there will be continued pressure on that line. Uh, But we know in our industry, and particularly for Yum, with our scale and our ability to manage inflationary pressures, nobody's better at it. So we can manage those pressures. Um, We can manage our supply chain in a way that we can continue to provide amazing value and convenience for consumers on the best-tasting food. Um, And we can take price as a last resort, uh, which we know we have been able to pass along. We do business in so many countries. We face inflationary pressures all around the world. We know how to manage through this better than anyone. Uh, David, I noticed operating margin down at KFC and down at Taco, but up at Pizza. What's different? Look, the Pizza Hut story is um, really uh, one of a very impressive turnaround. You know, the the business over the last few years has been reformulated to be more of an off-premise business. Uh, The sales for Pizza Hut in the U.S. in the off-premise occasion were up 17% this quarter. Uh, Sales on off-premise around the world were up 21%. Um, so a very bright future for Pete's HUD investing in digital technology, which is really uh, you know, growing the margins for the business. Uh, you know, all of our brands are uh, wildly profitable. The number to look at um, when you're thinking about margins in our business is what are our franchisees making at the unit level? Because that's, where, you know, that's what determines the future of the business. Are our units profitable? And when they're making money at the unit level, they'll invest in building new stores. I would guide investors to look at those 760 new stores that are being built, all with franchisee capital, because the store-level profitability is at near-record levels, and they see that continuing with the things we talked about, the shift to digital, the top-line growth. David, fascinating uh, time in in QSR right now. Really appreciate uh, the, uh, the highlights on the quarter. See you soon. Thanks, Carl. Still to come this morning, the inflation effect. Shares of Stanley Black & Decker under some pressure this morning. Our earnings beat did get overshadowed by lower guidance due to rising costs, and we'll talk to the CEO. In the meantime, though, keep your eye on the bond report and treasuries today. Two's tens spread now the lowest since August as we get day three of this curve flattening, uh, which is a global phenomenon. We're seeing it happen all around the world. Dow's up 175, though. We'll be right back. Stanley Black & Decker shares are falling despite an earnings beat because of the guidance, which is going to be, we're going to explain it. So don't panic. Don't sell yet. Joining us now is Stanley uh, Black & Decker CEO, Jim Lurie. Jim, it is great to have you on, and particularly because I think the story is, is that this is a growth stock with tremendous revenues, but obviously, like everybody else, you have port issues, you've got uh, cost issues you didn't count on. But can we just step back and say, Stanley Black and Decker's growing like I've never seen it. Growing like, and thanks, Jim. It's growing like I've never seen it either. It's uh, incredible. Can you talk about uh, that cadence of billions of dollars that you've added in sales year over year and then next year? 
Sure. We're capping off this year with uh, approximately $3 billion in organic growth, which has benefited from so many secular trends going on in the world. You know, the reconnection, the consumer's reconnection with home and garden, the red hot housing market, the, re the refurb market, this whole nesting concept, all these different things coming together and providing a great demand backdrop. And then the company itself has just revitalized its innovation and, and product development. Uh, and we have some really tremendous organic initiatives going. E-commerce is uh, now 20% of our business running, you know, 20 to 30% growth. Uh, so we have that going for us. Uh, and so we have all this demand and so forth. And we just have a little bit of, uh, you know, some challenges, you know, with, a, with a, the port situation and some of the other things you referenced. But it's altogether uh, an exciting time here. And next year looks equally as exciting with a mid-single digit plus volume growth. We'll have some price next year. So close to 10% organic growth. And on top of that, about $3 billion of growth from acquisitions that we've already announced and are in process of, um, of antitrust approval. All right, but let's go over that. Uh, you have some price this year, only because I think a lot of our viewers will say, well, yes, of course he has price. What you're really talking about is capturing uh, the cost that you have and passing them to the consumer of what you're able to do because you've got the best brand in the industry. Yeah, we have some terrific brands, uh, DeWalt, Craftsman, Black & Decker, Stanley, among others. And, you know, it is, uh, there is so much inflation that there really is no choice but to pass it on. It's, it's, it's almost, in some respects, a better pricing environment than if you, you just have, uh, you know, death by a thousand cuts inflation. So, uh, you know, massive inflation over, uh, if you take the, the combination of material inflation, labor inflation, and uh, premium transportation costs to deal with some of the supply chain challenges, it's over a billion dollars of, uh, of impact. You know, it's a, it's a 16, 17 billion dollar company right now in terms of revenue. That's a big nut. And we are going to recover 100 percent of that in price, some mix of new products and things like that. All right. There's a flotilla off the coast of California. And we know that it sits there as the White House tries to figure out what to do. If I were to go into those uh, carriers, that Navy fleet, so to speak, how much of uh, Stanley Black & Decker equipment would I find in those giant container ships? Well, you would find a massive amount. And the, you know, the reality is that about at the beginning of the pandemic, we had about $300 million of in-transit inventory. Today, we have about 800 million, so half a billion dollars of inventory, most of which is tied up uh, in, in process of getting from Asia to the developed markets, including that flotilla off the coast of Long Beach in L.A. Uh, there is, you know, we listened to Ford last night. They talked about chip supply maybe getting better sequentially. Uh, China shipping rates, some argue, are off the September high. Baltic dry is down 20-plus percent from the high. I mean, are you seeing directionally some relief, Jim? Yeah, we're seeing stabilization. And I do believe, you know, you know, steel is a big part of our inflation story. And I do believe that, you know, it's artificially high right now based on the uh, tariffs that exist, in, in especially as it relates to China and, you know, the protection of the U.S. steel industry and so on. I think at some point, you know, if you look at the auto demand and, you know, the demand for steel, so, so much of it is consumed by the auto industry. Sooner or later... You know, with the volume down the way it is in automotive, that that um, umbrella has to crumble. And I think that'll be a big help. But some of the other things you referenced as well certainly have stabilized. And maybe in some cases there's some uh, 
light at the end of the tunnel on some of those. Jim, you were one of the people who took the pledge uh, under President Trump to bring back uh, bring back a lot of a lot of business here. What's it like to find workers here? And uh, what's it like to have to deal with perhaps genuine automation, the kind of which we talk about on air, because you can't find workers? Yeah, and it's it, it's super challenging. You know, we have about 1,600 open manufacturing jobs right now, which is about 5% of our workforce. So we've been probably more uh, successful than some of the other folks. That has to do with, you know, what we pay, what our where our factories are located, the size of our factories, et cetera. Uh, but the automation has been something we've been working on for years. And, and so we're, you know, three or four years into a major automation initiative, major initiative to bring it back manufacturing to the U.S. Uh, and we're just... Uh, the capacity that we've opened up has just been consumed by the, you know, the great demand growth that we've had. Uh, And ultimately, we will bring back more volume from China, but we're going to have to open up more capacity in uh, North America, Mexico and uh, the U.S. Well, you are uh, really kind of the poster boy for what's happening in that you got you've got tremendous demand. You've got great growth. You just need the product, which I think is something that you're going to get. So, Jim Murray from Stanley Black and Decker, thanks so much for coming on Squawk of the Street. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Take care. That's good. Jim, what's tonight? Well, I've got Dow Chemical, which is really important because I'm also doing part an ESG part earlier today that will matter. I've got David Folks from Brunswick. This is the Rodney Dangerfield stock. I mean, when are people going to give Brunswick what it deserves? And then remember I talked about George Yu leaving? Uh, Twilio. Yes, leaving Twilio. Well, one of the greats, a true titan, Steve Angel at Lynn, is going to step up to chairman and retire. This company stock would be up if he had said, you know what? I can't wait to go to work next year. He's that powerful, that great. He also has a great statement for green hydrogen. Um, and uh, he's just so terrific. And I you know, wish him well. I will talk to him. But his stepping down is causing that stock to step down, not the earnings, which were amazing. All right. Jim, we're working our way through this week. Yeah. We're I, gonna... <laughs> well, when David steps in to my metaverse, yes. what he's going to find is I am rebranding myself. To what? I don't know. I haven't decided yet. Oh, Maybe. you haven't? No, I don't. I don't know. Who do I really want to be? Right. I want to be the goat of something. The goat? Yeah, the goat. I actually, I like that pose right there. So you like statesman like. You think you're the goat in, yeah. in, in many ways. Well, thank you. Maybe that's what I'd be. I mean, maybe I'll come back as Muhammad Ali. Wouldn't that be something? Like when he gave the poetry, he gave a he gave a commencement speech. I'm going to come back as Muhammad Ali during was, the heyday. Uh, you got to get in line. Only one ahead. Although in the metaverse, you can do whatever you want. I guess I so. can. Yeah. I can come back as the gladiator, <laughs> except for this time I win. <laughs> we'll see you tonight, Mad Money. And of course, you can always get in on the new CNBC Investing Club with Jim. Uh, sign up and find out more at cnbc.com slash investing club. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older like a family vacation or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.